0: you. We ask that you come and fill this place that you would fill our open hearts with your presence and your power. We know that you only go where you're asked and, and where it's desired for you to come. And so we're asking you to come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come change us. Come transform us. come and, and, and speak to us from the innermost being of our hearts. I pray that you'll engender a, a, a hunger for you, more of God. God, we can't, we can't make that happen, but your Holy Spirit does that. And I pray that we would have a hunger and a thirst for God. Father, we, we drink from so many ponds and faucets during the week, just so many things that, that we try to fill our time and our, our energy and attention and our desires with. And I pray, God, that you would just remove that and replace it with a hunger and a thirst for, for righteousness and for the Holy Spirit of the living God. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that you would transform our lives. Father, we would leave change today. No matter where we came from today, Maybe we came discouraged. Maybe we came angry. Maybe we came frustrated. Maybe we came with no faith, believing that no way God's going to answer my prayer. No way God cares about me. I pray that you'll replace that with a brand new awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God and that your love would transcend all of those things and fill us and that we would be different, changed today because of your presence, your Holy Spirit in and in us and through us in Jesus name amen please be seated i trust that when when you come on sundays that you come with expectancy, expecting to meet with the the living God. And I know that's kind of spooky for some people. They go, ooh, I don't know if I I can handle that. But we are human beings that were created to relate to the living God. We're more than just physical flesh and blood and all the things we see. That's what makes us unique in all of the universe. And so just to encourage you to come expectantly uh, when we come together. And when you go with, meet with people in your connect groups, come expect it. Just whenever we get together as people of God, be expect it. Do you ever want a second chance? Do you want a second chance? The first time through the exam, you did terrible. And you want a retake. You want a do-over. Or you like golf like I do. And you play about once every other year. (laughs) And drivers are those hard things to get used to. And your first few swings, you top the ball and it goes dribbling out about 10 yards. I want a do-over. I want a do-over. Maybe you got stopped for speeding by a police officer and you said some things in your defense and you discover when you go to court, the officer wrote down everything you said. And the judge reads it back to you word for word. Yeah, I wanted a do-over. Too late. We like do-overs. We like second chances. Whether it's in a relationship soured by an angry word, an action we took that really hurt someone. Maybe it was a poor choice with terrible consequences. We like a do-over, a second chance. Sometimes we get a second chance, a do-over. Many times we don't. Well, the Bible is full of accounts of do-overs, of of second chances. And usually these do-overs are for people who get in trouble. And God gave them a second chance. People like Jonah, Saul, David, Paul. You look all throughout the Bible, we we discover we're in great company. The law says they messed up, and grace says you get a do-over. Today, we're going to look at the beginning of a do-over, a a second chance. But this do-over is not by people. It's a a do-over by God. And it's not because God made a mistake. The do-over became necessary because people had made such a mess of their world. The bad news is that people messed it up. The good news, God gets a do-over. I'd like us to turn to Genesis 6. Genesis 6 is on page 4 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Also be on the projection. Genesis 6. We're going to look at Genesis 6 today. When men began to increase in number on the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married. Any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were also on the earth those days, and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, all the time the lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain so the lord said i will wipe mankind whom i have created from the face of the earth men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air for i am grieved that i have made them but noah found favor in the eyes of the lord noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time and he walked with god Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. So God saw, God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And then verse 17 and 18. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has a breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Last Sunday, we examined Genesis 5, learning to deal with life, learning to deal with With death, and then learning to deal with life after death. By the time we get to this chapter, Genesis 6, we see a bleak, dismal picture of mankind left to his own devices. How mankind has degenerated. This is really bad news. And if we stopped at verse 13, we'd think it's all over. It must be all over. But instead, God has a plan. God has a plan. A plan for a second chance, a do over. Now, let's start with God's problem. Number one, God's problem. Why was there a need for a do-over? What happened? What happened? Very simply, people forgot God. People forgot God. People had turned their backs on God. We move from the last part, last verse of of chapter 4 that says, at that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now we're at God who? That's what happened. I mean they had men of God like Enoch that were, that were so godly that God beamed him up to heaven. To be, he didn't even have to die. But as so often happens, people forgot God. Forgot God. Do, do we ever forget God? You ever forget God? Unless we have constant reminders that we need God, or daily times of communication or communion with God, and weekly times of teaching and fellowship with other believers. Yeah, we, we forget God too. It's called practical atheism. Practical atheism. I told this story before. It's the story of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, who was the founder of the Reformation, came home one day and found his wife in mourning, all dressed in black. And Martin Luther asked his wife, Who died? She said, God died. He said, God died? Have you taken leave of your senses? God is eternal. He can't die. She said, oh, I'm so relieved. The way you've been acting, I was sure God had died. (laughs) Practical atheism. Living for all intents and purposes as if God does not exist. It's just irrelevant to our daily life. People forgetting God. So they forgot God. And we see it happening in our nation today. People forget God. Everything goes great, and we don't need God anymore. We just kind of forget forget God. Now, there's a, there's a really unique passage of Scripture in this text, speaking of sons of God who married wives for themselves, this union producing Nephilim or giants. Now, what is that about? Now, it, I'll admit there are passages in the Word of God that we have no clue what they are, okay? They, they are just really weird. And we go, how in the world does that make sense? What is that there for? Well, I had a friend in seminary, a brilliant, he was a brilliant scholar, went on to law school, and he, was, he did all these things, PhD, all this stuff. He did, he did his dissertation, a 90-page dissertation while we were in seminary, on the various views and interpretations of Genesis 6, 1 to 4. Well, we're not going to do that today, just so you know. We're not going to dig into what that meaning is. Most scholars, I'll just summarize this because people are going to ask me, okay? Most scholars believe that the sons of God were angelic beings or fallen angels and their offspring were superhuman giants. No, nobody really knows for sure, but there's that four, verse, four verses in there that just is really strange and, and in all the years that this has been in scripture, nobody knows for sure. And it, it, let me just say, it's okay to have open questions and not know everything, about the Bible. Okay, there will always be things we don't understand. It's better to admit it than to pretend we know everything. Okay, so just so you know, I don't know everything. Judy does. I don't. <laughs> so God says in verse 3, regardless of that, my spirit will not contend with man forever for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. Okay, up to this point, mankind had lived a long time. But because of mankind's sin, God's spirit, the life-giving power of God, on which every creature was dependent for life, it, it says it will not remain with man forever. Therefore, life is now limited to 120 years, and soon it was. It took time, it took a while, but pretty soon, pretty much 120 years was, it was the limit. So God's problem, we started with God's problem. People forgot God. They forgot God. Now let's look at God's predicament. This problem produced a predicament for God. Verse 5 says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil all the time. Three total statements. Every inclination, only evil, all the time. Every inclination, only evil, all the time. Wow. You contrast that with the beginning of creation when God looked at his creation and said it was good. He looked at all parts of his creation and said it was very good. What a contrast between the beginning of God's creation and now. Man forgot God. What are the results? What happens when mankind or people forget God? The first result was perversion. Perversion. And the first perversion now, it mentioned as angels taking human wives, producing offspring, God did not intend. But we have perversion. We have a lot of perversion in our world today. We take the perversion of marriage. Do we have perversion of marriage today? There's a lot of perversion of marriage in the heterosexual context, in what we say is the, the, the biblical context of marriage. A lot of, a lot of perversion in that. The, the free love, open marriages, affairs, mistresses, living together before or outside of marriage, shown as the norm in um, almost every movie or television program made today. You cannot watch any show on television or any movie where living together outside of marriage is not the norm. Anybody see one that isn't? It's just, it's just the norm. It's, just this, it's a standard practice. Everybody does it. So it's it's this perversion of marriage. All these are perversions of God's plan for marriage. and There's there's plenty of perversion of marriage in the heterosexual context. We also have the perversion of marriage in the homosexual context. And we've talked about that. The the same-sex marriage, the whole thing that's happening in in the declaration of marriage is now between two men or two women or whatever you want to make it. Then there's polyamory. I don't know if you've seen this. Multiple partners of heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, all living in the same context with each other. There's one I read about last week. They, there was a throuple. A throuple? Yeah, a couple is two. throuple is three. There were three people that were married, living together. Okay. I mean, it, this thing is only going to get worse and more perverse. It's a perversion of marriage. Polyamory. Every inclination, only evil, all the time. That's where they were. Perversion of marriage. Then there's the perversion of sex. Reducing sex to just a physical act. It's only for pleasure. Reducing sex to purely selfish action, to pornography, sex trafficking, a huge market supported by the people whose every inclination is only evil all the time. Homosexual perversion is the ultimate low point, according to Romans 1. That's how far it's gone. Then there are other things moving on, and I won't even mention. Every inclination, only evil, all the time. Then there's the perversion of mankind's physical being. And we see this happening with the the movement into transgender, sex changes. By the way, um, if you're not sure how to deal with that and how to how to communicate with that. I have, a, I have an incredible Well, this is actually a parent resource guide. I will email it to you. I have a, I have a uh, it's, it's a 47 page document, full color brochure document that was put together by Family Research Council and some others. Well researched, documented, footnotes, I mean it is comprehensive. If you have any questions about what's going on and how do I talk about this stuff, with any kind of intellectual honesty and know anything. This will give you an incredible amount of research and information. So if people talk about it, because basically 98%, this is just one stat, 98% of people who experience gender confusion at a young age grow out of it by adulthood and they embrace their actual physical, normal, biological sex. If we just leave them alone, instead of interfering with that. It's, it's, it's unbelievable what, what's happening today. Seven-year-olds. I mean, how, how many of us haven't seen uh, little boys that like to dress up like girls or girls that like to be more like boys or whatever? There's some, there's some identity issues that happens. It's, it's a normal process. We leave it alone, and God will work it out. It's, it's unbelievable. But, but there's, there's so much misinformation out there. If you want good information email me or email Randy at the church office. We'll send you a link, and you can just download the whole document and read it at your leisure. It'll give you some information and some actual research, and you can go into the footnotes and look at the original documents, the studies, everything they've done if you want to. But we need to be informed so that we understand and we can answer people's questions because people throw this stuff out, and the media makes it normalized. Every inclination, inclination, only evil all the time. Then there's the perversion of people's purpose. God's purpose is for humans to relate to God and to enjoy that relationship forever. That's the number one relationship. And this relationship is replaced with hedonism or pleasure at all costs, escapism, recreation, entertainment, drugs or alcohol, diversion. Then there's the perversion of right and wrong, calling right wrong and wrong right. Some states have medical laws that require two medical teams to be present at every abortion. One team is to kill the baby. One team is to save the baby's life if the first team fails. Right, wrong, right, right. What is that? It's bizarre. Every inclination, only evil all the time. All kinds of perversion. And I don't have to tell you that. You see it every day. see it every day. Then there's letter B, there's wickedness. Verse five addresses the internal state of the heart. Every idea, every plan, every thought thoroughly evil. And this asserts that every human thought from its inception was intrinsically evil. There's there's something that we've been taught for a long time, it's humanism, that human beings are basically good. And it's their environment or it's social ills or it's this or that. Other things have made them do bad things. And the Bible contradicts that. It says basically the inclination of every human heart is downward. We all have a sin nature. Romans 3, 10-12 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All all have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. It's in our nature. It's part of who we are. And, And it's all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we we can't stand up and say those people out there are bad, you know, and you know, we're church people. No. All of us have the same inclinations of evil inside us. It's part of our nature. We don't we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's part of our nature. That's why Jesus came. So Jesus says, You need a savior. And when we come to that point and realize that we don't have the answer. That's when God can do miraculous transformation in our lives and in our culture and society. We look on the outside. God looks on the heart. He looks at the intentions and the motives and calls it like it is. It's one thing to note a person's actions. It's entirely different to accurately identify the motives or the intentions. Jeremiah 17.9 also says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, Who can understand it? We we can deceive ourselves. Many times we deceive ourselves because our heart is deceitful. Now, if enough people commit a sin, our culture will say it must be okay. It must be okay. Historically, premarital sex and adultery were considered wrong. Now it's unacceptable or it's acceptable. The Bible calls it sin. Same thing with homosexuality, it used to be considered an abomination, a perversion. Now it's perfectly acceptable. There's gay pride, parades to flaunt it. Pride month, pride flags. It's like we flaunt this evil. Put it in your face and promote it and, and normalize it. And one of the problems is there, there's one male, man that, that had, had an affair and he was feeling guilty about his extramarital affair. So he went to a counselor and the counselor, instead of helping this man deal with his marriage and his sin, he tried to help the man deal with his guilt feelings. So let's deal with your guilt feelings. Let's not worry about the sin. Let's, let's deal with your guilt feelings. Is it guilt feelings or is it real guilt? We, we, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of people running around with, with, with just guilt feelings. They, but more of us are running around with real guilt. The heart is deceptive above all things. What are the... What are the intentions of the heart? I was watching an NBA basketball game once, and the referee called a critical foul near the end of the game. Now, those of you that know basketball and other things, there there are degrees of fouls. Really? Yeah. Obviously, there are shooting fouls or moving fouls or violations, all those that. But there are degrees of fouls. There's accidental fouls, there are intentional fouls, and there are flagrant fouls. And there's a different penalty for each of those things. And what matters is intention. And the referee has to decide: was that uh, really just trying to block the shot, or was he trying to take his head off? You know, you just you just have to do that. What was the intention? What matters is intention. In the court system, a judge will also judge intentions: accidental killing or intentional killing. Intentions. Well, here it says every inclination was only evil all the time. The third predicament that God found himself in was corruption. Verse 12, it says, God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Corrupt is defined as the original change from a sound condition to an unsound condition. Spoiled, contaminated, deteriorating, morally unsound. Now, I don't know if we have seen any of that today in our culture or our government. Talk about, talk about corruption. So, and it says the people had corrupted their ways. The people. That's God's predicament. God's predicament also was letter D, pain. Pain. Verse 6 says, The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. His heart was filled with pain. God was sorry. God was grieved that he had even made mankind. God wanted a do-over, a do-over. God had known what it was like in the beginning. He knew what it could have been. He knew what it was meant to be. And the contrast between what could have been and what was caused what was caused God much pain. And I know when God looks at his creation today, and there are bright spots. I, I just hope God looks at, at people of God who worship him, And it gives him joy, and I know it does. But he looks at all the stuff that's going on in in the world. And people wonder how a God of love could allow starving children, innocents to be tortured, innocent suffering. And man's view is it's God's fault. God's view, verse 12, is that all the people on the earth had corrupted their own ways. God created this perfect environment God gave people a free will. God sh- people chose to go their own way. And then, they, of course, they blame God. So let, let's look at the good news, God's plan. God is going to do a do-over, a do-over. The first part of his plan is something called waiting. God is a patient God, letter A, patient. God is a patient God. I don't know if you've experienced the patience of God. I have. He's trying to teach me something, trying to direct me, trying to whatever it is. And and I'm the stubborn Norwegian. I don't like to be told what to do by anybody, even God. And he needs patience with me and patience with you. And in in this part of his plan, this is his waiting, his patience. God waited a long time. God warned these people for a long time. Time. God's plan, first of all, starts with patience. Uh, we find it in Second Peter three, and this is a passage that you know when you when you find out, uh, did the flood really happen? Was it really this? Was it you know? Well, Peter, okay, one of the heads of the church said in Second Peter three five through seven, but they deliberately forget that by God's word the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. He talks about this past judgment with water, and he talks about this future judgment that's going to be fire. Okay? It's, it's water, future. He's talking about that. But he validates this whole story. Now, when we look at the story of Noah, we discover and... and and this will be, we'll be looking at that in the next week or so. As we will discover, Noah was about 500 years old when he started the construction of the ark. Okay? 500 years old. And he was about 600 when he completed it. Which meant that Noah spent 100 years preaching to the people to repent. 100 years. Can you imagine? 100 years just preaching the message that you've got to repent and turn to God. 100 years. And 2 Peter 2.5 says, He did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. See, there was this long period of time that, that, that the, these prophecies went out and he preached righteousness. When you study the Old Testament, God always always warns and takes time to warn the people of God. and and tell them this is what's going to happen. Look at the prophet. I'm I'm right in the middle of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is kind of a hard book uh, in my private devotions. Ezekiel, but the many, many years of the warning after warning after warning to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, saying, if you don't repent, this is what's going to happen. Judah, this is what's going to happen. Patience. God is a patient God. 2 Peter 3.8 says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. His warnings, his patience, are always to bring us into repentance, into relationship with him. God is a patient God. God is a patient God. Here, he waits for them. The grace of God, patience is his plan. And I, I, I don't know if you've ever wondered why God doesn't strike some evil person dead. You know, it could, be, could have been Hitler, it could have been Saddam Hussein, it could have been um, Idi Amin, it could have been uh, your boss, or, you know, I don't know. It could have been somebody that you think was really evil and, and God just let him live. And you just say, God, if I was you, I'd strike them dead and get them off the earth, whatever. Well, God is patient. God is a God who gives people a second chance or more, a chance for a do-over. You see, we, we all deserve judgment. And God is patient with us, and he's patient with others as well. So patience, waiting. Now, the second part of God's plan is kind of interesting, how this can be part of God's plan. But it's, it's judgment and destruction, judgment and destruction. In verse 7, he says, I will wipe mankind from the face of the earth. Verse 13, he said, I'm going to put an end to all the earth, for the earth is filled with, with violence of them. How can that be good news? Because God's judgment eventually is poured out on deserving recipients, and he will take care of them. You don't have to take care of this. God will take care of this. Someone who deserves judgment. He gets rid of the bad, and he preserves or brings in the new. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout history, God has brought judgment in order to bring restoration. People wondered, why, why did he send Israel into exile in Babylon? Why did he send Judah into exile? Why did he do that? Because he was judging them. Many people died horrible deaths. They were all warned of this judgment coming because they were rebelling against God. He sent them out, but he always brought back a remnant. He always had a remnant, bringing in the good, a small group that turned to God. That's part of God's plan. Is he, If he has to, he will take that judgment, and he'll bring back a remnant. Judgment always brings people forward. It purifies. Then we have letter C, provision, provision. Verse 8 and 9 talks about the fact that Noah found favor, and he walked with God, and there was going to be a way out for them. That's the good news. There's provision. And in the middle of total degradation, there's, there's, there's rescue for Noah and his family. This is the good news. God always has a way out. God always gives a second chance or a do-over for those that desire to follow him. One of the interesting things, that uh, there's some parallels between the flood and the cross, The flood, there was a destruction of many to save one family. The cross was a destruction of one, Jesus, to save many. The flood and the cross, this provision. One of our favorite titles for Jesus is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is is God my provider. And we tend to think of it in terms of God's going to provide my, my car and he's going to provide my house and plenty of money. Jehovah Jireh, he's my provider. But the original context of Jehovah Jireh was the story of Abraham when he was going to sacrifice his son, and God said, No, I'm going to give you someone else, something else. And he provided the sacrifice to be sacrificed in the place. Jehovah Jireh refers to Jesus being sacrificed on our behalf. He's our provider. See, God demands a sacrifice, but he pays it. That's what he did with Jesus. The great flood is a picture of God's grace, his wrath and his grace. Can we imagine what the world would be like today if we'd never had the flood event? You think about that. It was so bad then. It's so bad now. God, through judgment, spares the human race from total extinction so that someday Jesus could come and be the ultimate sacrifice to give all of us a do-over. We don't earn that do-over. Jesus accomplished that for us by dying on the cross. That's the good news. Now, there's an interesting passage in Matthew 24. Again, it talks about Noah. Jesus talked about this. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. When we look at Noah and the ark, it's a great picture of what's going to happen someday when Jesus comes back again. Now, that's not bad news. That's not something we should fear. We talked last Sunday about the rapture, the coming of Jesus Christ when he comes back to get his church, and just like it was back then. And it was evil, it was bad, it was, they were in the minority. All of these things were happening. They were marrying. They're given a marriage. Life was going on as normal, just like it is today, all the things. And he said, just like that, it's going to be like when Jesus comes, when he comes again. And that's the good news, that Jesus is coming back again to rescue us, ultimately. Now, we don't exist as a church as just an escape route. We're not just hanging on until Jesus comes. We're to make a difference. We're to make disciples. We're to, uh, the gates of hell will not stand against us. the kingdom of God. But the blessed hope we have in the future is that Jesus will be coming back. Then there's God's promise, letter D, as we close today. Genesis 6, 17 and 18 says this, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. Covenant. We find that word covenant all throughout the Bible. The covenant has to do with a promised relationship. He says, I will establish my covenant, my relationship with you. This is the seeking, searching God is always wanting to establish a relationship with his creation, with his people. And he says, through that covenant relationship, the relationship you have, you will be saved, you'll be spared, you will be part of God's do-over. That's what we are. We're part of God's do-over by virtue of this covenant relationship that he established through Jesus. We celebrated communion last Sunday. 1 Corinthians 11 says, in 25 says, In the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread, drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's the basis of our relationship, the new covenant, the new covenant through the blood of Jesus. The new covenant is established. This new relationship is established with us. And God's do-over has become our total ultimate makeover. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have established this relationship. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would again speak to us about the reality of this covenant, this new relationship. And God, that we would understand that even though we see some of the judgments and we see some of the things that are happening, that you have a plan. You have a purpose. And I pray that we'll take confidence in that. And we we wouldn't make the same mistake of forgetting you, that we would be reminded day in and day out of this, this relationship and this covenant that you've established for us and that you are so good to us. And for that, we thank you, in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we? It's Okay, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.